0: It's Christmas Eve 2020, when Jackson Reffett makes the biggest decision of his life. He's been watching anime in his bedroom, or trying to. I just
1: hear behind my wall my dad talking about the government and Nancy Pelosi, and it's all mumbled, and I'm just like, God, this is just, it's crazy. Like, it's crazy talk.
0: Jackson's 18 years old, and he's come to the conclusion that his father is a dangerous man, and he needs to do something about it. What did he say that made you think he could be violent? That he's going to do something big.
1: And I know that's very uh, vague, and that's what I think triggered me to be so worried about it, is how vague it was and how, um, I guess, active he was. It just got to a point where I was getting so paranoid and anxious and nervous that I didn't really—I almost wanted to take this off my shoulders
0: and give it to someone else. He Googles, "'How to tip the FBI.'" a text box pops up. Jackson looks at the blank space and gives himself
1: a pep talk. Okay, I'm going to do this right now. I have to do this right now. Um, Get it over with.
0: I'm going to just do it. He starts to type.
1: I don't know what my dad's doing. He's a part of a couple organizations. Texas Freedom Force, I believe it's called. He's prominent at 3%ers. He says he's high up in the organization. He says he's doing something big. I don't know what, but I'm just worried. I don't know where he's going. He might... Do something soon, I have no idea. And
0: sent. Although they lived under one roof, Jackson Reffitt and his dad were not close. The older Jackson got, the more he came to see his dad as bossy and intolerant. Still, he didn't start to worry about what his dad was capable of until the pandemic hit. That's when his dad joined the militia three percenters. He started patrolling racial justice rallies as a self-appointed security force protecting private property. He got obsessed with this one Black Lives Matter activist. Jackson found out about it from his mom, who knocked on his door late one night.
1: She talked about a BLM preacher off Facebook that my dad was keeping an eye on. I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, your dad went to Mississippi for this guy. He tried tracking him to find dirt on him. And I was like, what?
0: This is weird. Jackson's dad has disputed this version of events. He says it's all his son's fantasy. But Jackson sees it as part of a bigger pattern. He says his dad got deep into conspiracy theories, was stockpiling ammo and gasoline, water and a generator, convinced that electrical power in the U.S. would shut down and the electoral votes would be reset. He was clearly, I don't want to say unstable. I i, I don't even know a word for it. Everything about Jackson feels like a direct rebuttal to his dad's brand of masculinity. He wears his long, wavy hair, pulled back in a pink scrunchie. There's a miniature Winnie the Pooh doll dangling from his cell phone that's a gift from his girlfriend. And where Jackson is soft-spoken, his father can be downright aggressive.
1: This is a quote he uses a lot in his arguments. He put me in this world, he can take me out. That's a classic for him. He loves that one.
0: He said that
1: to you. Oh, all the time. He, like he'll get in my face he's like I'll t- I I'll put you in this effing world I can take you out it happens a lot and I don't think it's okay and my dad has had moments of violence I mean have you read the reports of him choking out my mom it's pretty
0: horrible all of this is weighing on Jackson when he hears his dad in late 2020 talking about doing something big I was like I can't call the police I mean
1: they're going to come here and do what they're going to do nothing So I was just like, the FBI, I mean,
0: you can send in tips to the FBI. I mean, almost everyone knows that. And after pressing send, he feels some semblance of relief. Okay, that's off
1: me. It's on their shoulders. Whatever they do, whatever they say, whatever my dad does, it's on them.
0: From Pineapple Street Studios, Wondery, and Amazon Music, this is Will Be Wild. My name is Ilya Meritz.
2: And I'm Andrea Bernstein. Chapter 1, Warnings. Not too long after Jackson Reffitt sends in his tip to the FBI, Donnell Harvin, an intelligence official in D.C., is getting off work.
3: On this particular day, I vividly remember it, I'd already left the office. I'm in my car and I'm at the drive-thru for Panera Bread, (laughs) ordering dinner.
2: Who are you ordering dinner for?
3: Me and my wife. She always gets the Mediterranean bowl with chicken, and I always get the Greek salad with chicken.
2: Donnell runs a team in the local D.C. government that gathers intelligence on potential threats to the city. As he's placing his dinner order, he gets a call from one of his lead analysts.
3: You know, these analysts, they're they're very straight to the point. You know, they're not uh, prone to hyperbole. So it's like, you have a second, I need to share something with you. And it's concerning to me. Uh, He's never told me that before. And in fact, I've never had an analyst come to me and said, I have something to share with you that's important.
4: The
2: analyst is calling to give Donnell an update on a protest planned in D.C. on January 6th. Word of the protest had been circulating online, and Donnell had asked him to keep an eye on it. Instead of waiting for the usual morning meeting, though, he thinks Donnell needs to know what he's seeing now.
3: I get a briefing from him for about 15, 20 minutes, and then immediately... I said, well, hold on, I want to get my boss on the line. Because, you know, in intelligence, especially post-September 11th, you don't want to be the one caught holding the bag on valuable information.
2: So right away you escalate.
3: Immediately. What do you say? While I'm still in the car, while I'm still at Panera, I I said, guys, hold on. Let me see if I can get my boss on the line.
2: And what do you say to him?
3: I said, boss, my analyst, he's got some what we call derogatory information that we've collected online, and I think you need to hear it. The first time I've actually had that conversation with him as well. And he said, OK, put it, let's, let's get on. So I just added my boss and merged the calls. And I told the analyst, tell him exactly what you told me in every single detail you just told me.
2: Donnell and his boss are quiet while his analyst lays out the intelligence again.
3: He was seeing through his sources and methods, individuals that were extremely violent, had a violent history... Not only were they coming, but they were collaborating online. These threat streams generally don't collide. You know, the militias and the white supremacists and the neo-Nazis, they don't kind of hang out online together.
2: The threat streams were merging into one giant, roaring river.
3: And it wasn't just the fact that they were hanging out saying, hey, what are you wearing? It was, what are you bringing? How do you bring guns? How do you hide guns? Sharing plans to enter the Capitol. They're talking about entering the Capitol. And so that was what was concerning.
2: Danelle's boss tells him he'll pass the intel up the chain. And what are you feeling then? Are you feeling like, oh, holy shit? Or what are you thinking?
3: Well, you know, I've been in some really, really tight situations in my career from a physical nature. You know, 9-11, Sandy Hook. Hurricane Sandy, I was a paramedic in Brooklyn, in the South Bronx in the 90s. Um, So I've been in some very dangerous physical environments. This was a little bit different. It was more of a tingle, this tingling in the back of my head.
2: What really gets that tingle vibrating is this. This is bigger than Washington, D.C. The federal government should be taking the lead. But Donnell can't figure out who's in charge.
3: What I was concerned about was that there was no one, no designated agency, federal agency, that was taking the lead on January 6th. Full stop. We were all meeting as part of the intelligence community around the inauguration and If it was mentioned during one of these inauguration meetings, it was January 6th was a footnote. And so since no one was organized, everyone had their eyes on that. I'm like, well, we got to get through this first. So I decided to convene Coalition of the Willing. If you want to show up, we'll have meetings regularly.
2: This is pretty unusual. Donnell is a local official. He's used to the feds hosting these kinds of meetings.
3: Understand that it's not the state and locals' responsibility to check on the federal government, make sure they got their act together. Right. So I feel like. The world is kind of spinning out of control, and I'm very anxious, and I have a confidence issue, <laughs> to, be, to be blunt with you. And my entire career, I've been pretty type A confident. Never had any self-doubt. This was, this was unfamiliar for me.
2: Donnell thinks it's possible he's overreacting. He's been in his post for only a couple of years. Maybe he's the outlier, the one freaking out for no reason. So he reaches out to his mentor in California, who's been doing this a lot longer.
3: And I said, is it me? You know, I'm hoping it's me. Like, you know, talk me down. I need some therapy. And he said, no, it's not you. You don't need therapy because we're seeing the same thing on the West Coast.
2: So together, they decide to convene a call to check in with the network of local intelligence offices across the country. They set it for January 4th. And to their surprise, something like 300 people log on to the call from just about every state and territory. They're seeing the same thing. So, I guess the question that most people would have is, like, you're the security professionals. You know this. How are you going to stop this thing?
3: Well, that's a really good question. It's, for me, it's not about stopping what's coming. It's about, it's about painting a proper th- threat environment picture and preparing our jurisdiction for what we thought was to come. Intel and operations are two different things, right? So our job is to just talk. We don't do if that makes any sense. So, you know, it's kind of like your mom saying, hey, it's cold outside, don't leave without a scarf. That's the intelligence. You're the operation. You make a decision to follow that or not.
2: If it were up to him, Donnell would be putting up eight-foot non-scalable fences around the Capitol. He'd be putting Capitol Police in riot gear. He'd be making sure they had enough staff and training in case the intelligence became reality. But Janelle, as the leader of an intelligence team, could not do these things. A bit like Jackson Reffitt, he could send the information up the chain, hoping that someone who could do something was listening. We'll be right back.
0: On January 5th, three former beauty queens, Mrs. Idaho's to be precise, board a plane from Boise to San Francisco. They're just passing through on their way to Washington, D.C. They have matching Trump hats, which they decide not to wear on the plane.
4: I mean, we're three women from Idaho, so (laughs) we could wear that stuff on the regular and it's not a big deal. But when you go into another city that The people are probably not as like-minded with you. We didn't really know what to expect when we got there.
0: Natalie Jankula, works for a financial advisor, mother of two, Mrs. Idaho, 2015.
4: So we wanted to kind of fly under the radar, fly incognito, if you will, just to keep any altercations at bay. (laughs) But when we got to our gate to fly out to D.C., We were hit with this big, gigantic red wave of people in MAGA gear, and MAGA hats, and just gear everywhere. (laughs) And it's like, I connect with you, like, you're one of me.
0: Natalie's been a Republican all her life, but Trump inspired something deeper in her.
4: I feel like the last few Republican presidents that we've had just, I don't know, they haven't really spoke to the American people like Trump did.
0: So as she watched the results of the 2020 election come in, she felt disappointment. But there was something else, confusion. And that confusion turned to doubt. Was the election stolen?
4: It's almost like these feelings just continued to compound of frustration. Like, we have the right to a free and fair election, and it continued to become less free and less fair. Like, it got to a place of... You know, what can I do to be a part of a movement to represent how we are feeling?
0: It's in this headspace that Natalie is scrolling through social media one day in late December when she sees a message from President Trump.
4: Trump had a tweet that went out that said calling, you know, all patriots to D.C.
0: President Trump sent a bunch of tweets urging his followers to go to Washington. In the very first post, he wrote, Big protest in D.C. January 6th. Be there will be wild.
4: I reached out to my friends and I was like, you guys, I really want to go. And they wanted to go. And we just created a group chat and they're both other former Mrs. Idaho's. And we just felt that it was the right thing to do. And so we bought tickets and we went.
0: Natalie says there were maybe four people on the flight that weren't headed for the rally. At least it felt that way. When they touched down, the passengers broke out into song. They get to DC, check into their hotel, and then the next morning, Natalie and her two friends get up early to get in line for the rally. Really early.
4: We were in line by like 3, 4 a.m. What? (laughs) Yes. What? And it wrapped all the way around the back of the Washington Monument, this line. There were so many people.
0: The sun comes up. The places around them start to fill in with people. Natalie is like, yeah, this is why I came.
4: I think with any large event, the energy of coming and being a part of something is just electrifying. But in this case where it it felt like Something was taken from us, and then we were all coming together as one. You're meeting up with people who have the same ideas and views and thoughts that you do.
0: There's a lot of speakers, but like everyone else, Natalie is there for one in particular.
4: And many of you have traveled from all across the nation to be here, and I want to thank you for the extraordinary love. That's what it is. I really do like President Trump, and he's not a great speaker, you know? I mean, you got to love him, but you kind of hope he sticks to the script sometimes. It would be really great if we could be covered fairly by the media. The media is the biggest problem we have as far as I'm concerned. Of course, we always love when he turns around and calls the media out for not reporting certain things. That was kind of a highlight for me. These people are not going to take it any longer.
0: They're not going to take
4: it any longer.
0: Did you, at this point, hold out any hope that Donald Trump could remain president one way or another?
4: Of course. Yeah, of course. Just because I still believe that our election had interference. And that's upsetting to me. So, of course, there's a part of me that just really wished that that would happen that day. And you know, I always say that if I could do it again, I would have taken my kids. It was really it was that safe. It truly was that safe, because it would have just been a once in a lifetime opportunity for them to be a part of something that was historic. And I wish I could have shared that with my kids. Something's really wrong, can't have happened. And we fight, we fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore.
0: When the speech ends, Natalie and her crew head back to the hotel to warm up. After a while, they do what Trump told them to do. They walk to the Capitol. She says they stayed outside the building and never joined the fray. I go through the living room. Everyone's in the living room watching the TV. I'm just like, what is going on? Back in Texas, Jackson Reffitt is just noticing what's on the news.
1: I look at the TV. Obviously, there's huge crowds. There's... uh, Everyone's freaking out. They're barricading the doors. And my mom looks at me and she's like, "Your dad is there." And I'm like, "What?" You're lying. And they're just staring in disbelief at what my dad is a part of. What the fuck are you doing? What's up, guy, you looking good. Patriots, Patriots. We're taking the Capitol after this shit.
0: In shaky videos released later, you can see Jackson's dad, Guy Refit, make his way through Washington. He's wearing a tactical vest and a helmet with a GoPro-style camera mounted on top. There's a bulge on his right hip. According to prosecutors, it's a 40 caliber pistol. And you can hear him boasting to anyone who will listen that he has big plans.
3: I didn't come here to play games. I'm taking the Capitol. Everybody's fucking else. We're all getting dragged in motherfuckers out, kicking and screaming. I don't get a of I just want to see Pelosi's head hit he every fucking stair on the way out. Fuck yeah, I Mitch McConnell too. Fuck them all.
0: When he gets to the Capitol, Guy is part of the very first group of rioters that pushes through a police barricade. They get to a stone staircase. At the top, a group of officers is protecting the doors that lead to the United States Senate. We have an uh,
4: individual the west stairs. breaching the west stairs. Up the stairs. We need backup. USA! USA!
0: USA! Guy alone climbs the stairs. The officers tell him to stop. He keeps going. First, police hit him with pepper balls. He's undeterred. Then they shoot non-lethal pellets at him. Guy keeps coming, saying, "You can't stop us all." Finally, an officer holds a spray can up to Guy's face. He doesn't back down. The officer releases a stream of pepper spray. Guy wobbles, the crowd boos. Minutes later, Guy is washing his eyes out with bottled water. He doesn't make it inside, but the mob that was once behind him has pushed past the cops and is headed for the building.
3: You'll find have people climbing up the outside of the northwest side We need on this side
2: immediately. Four miles north of the Capitol, Donnell and his DC intelligence team are tuned into the radio of the officers on the scene. They can't believe what they're hearing.
0: Intel will be advised You got a group of about
3: fifty charging up the hill on the west front by right, just north of the D of the stairs. I'm hearing real time on the actual radio, the the sound in their voice.
0: Have to stand, have to to the
3: officers coughing. They're saying
4: uh, right
3: officers. The calling for help. We
4: need some reinforcements really up here now. They're starting to pull the gates down. They're throwing metal pulls at us. On oh, the Upper West Terrace, right now. Lower West Terrace, right now. Every single unit that you've
3: got hits on the field. This time, all units respond to the Upper West Terrace. They're reaching the Upper West Terrace at this time. And I'm like, there's not enough people there.
4: Cruiser 50, we're going to get riot warnings. We're going to try and get compliance, but this is now effectively a riot. 1349
2: hours, declaring it a riot. While Danell and his team listen in on the police radio, they're also watching social media feeds. There, they see videos streaming live from rioters and reporters, showing that most Capitol Police officers aren't in riot gear. They're wearing soft jackets and baseball caps. Eight foot non scalable fences were not erected. Instead, the Capitol is lined with four foot high bike racks, the kind you'd see along a parade route.
3: And I'm like, I'm looking at them like, wait, they're they're penetrating the building.
4: If I give this up, they're going to have direct access. At least this Capitol we can defend. We got to hold what we have.
3: And I'm like, this is going south. And it's going south really, really quick. Give me there. And I ran down the hall to my boss and I'm like, they're penetrating the capitol. They're getting in.
2: A TV is on in his boss's office. The networks are still covering the vote certification
3: and the first thing I was told was like, no, they're not. they're 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 just like scuffling of so like no, you need to come and see what I'm looking at. And my boss came down the hall and stood there for about a minute slack-jawed and then ran back down the hall.
2: What is your job at this moment? Like, you're collecting information and you're seeing it deteriorating. Like, what do you think you should be doing? At
3: that point, my job is, I'm useless, to be quite honest with you.
2: The exact sequence of events at this point is a blur for Donnell.
3: I was told that there was a—I was in a conference room, the executive conference room, and my bosses, you know, were convening a call. And it was federal officials from the Pentagon, the Capitol Police Chief, and other D.C. officials. And the thing that stood out for me is the Capitol Police Chief requesting assistance in the most impassioned way that you can imagine. Saying, I just heard shots fired in the Capitol, and we need help, whoever you can send. At that point, we didn't know who was shooting. We didn't know how many people were shot or if anyone was shot. And it was a very, very tense moment. One of those really surreal moments I'll never forget in my career. This wasn't supposed to happen. With all the information, I don't think this is intelligence failure. I'll go to my grave saying that. The vast amount of information You've got to protect your house better than that. What documents happened? What conversations happened? Why did they not wear the scarf like their mom told them to when it was cold outside? We still don't know what happened. It's alarming because the threat is still out there, right? And when the threat materializes the next time, and it will probably won't materialize in a very heavily guarded Capitol building. It'll probably materialize in a way that we haven't seen before, and it's concerning.
0: As the day is winding down, after hours of watching news coverage, Jackson notices his phone light up with a call from an unfamiliar number. That's like Jackson Raffitt. Do you have time to talk? And I was like, yeah, sure. It's an agent from the FBI. The agent asks Jackson if he's in a safe place to talk. Jackson says, hang on a second, slips on his shoes, and gets into his car. Jackson has just spent hours watching the rioters battle police on TV. He now has a pretty good idea of the big thing his dad was planning. I was like, your timing is impeccable.
1: Uh, That's what I said on the phone call. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) Did
0: they laugh? No.
2: Jackson Reffitt, Danelle Harvin, Natalie Jangula. January 6th changed the arc of each of their lives forever.
0: There have been a lot of threats. You know 4chan? They want to kill me. Jackson Reffitt told his story publicly about turning in his dad. Then he had to go into hiding. They will hunt you down if they really want
1: you. They're
0: crazy. You left government. Hmm? Why? I was
3: burnt out.
2: Danelle Harvin called it quits, having lost faith in his ability to make change from inside the government. He left and joined a think tank.
3: Do
0: you feel like you reached the limit of your effectiveness Absolutely. in this area? Absolutely, you did. Absolutely. Natalie Jangula, on the other hand, got motivated.
4: I'm gonna do this. This is an opportunity and I'm gonna jump on it.
0: Along with dozens of others who attended the Stop the Steel rally, she decided to run for office and she won.
4: It's my time to step in and make changes and be a part of something bigger than me.
2: For four years, Ilya and I covered Trump for a podcast called Trump, Inc. When Trump lost the election in 2020, we figured our time reporting on him was basically done. On January 6th, in fact, we were editing our last episode. Then we watched the Capitol get stormed by Trump supporters while the president stood by. And we realized there was still work to be done.
0: When we started reporting on Trump's role in 1-6, we found something larger. The stories of the people who took part in the day and the people who tried to stop it. Those who saw it coming for years and those who know January 6th was just the beginning of something, not the end.
2: This season on Will Be Wild.
1: We were like you're gonna get in trouble no matter what duh and my dad was like if that happens then you know what happens to traitors traitors get shot no we didn't dodge a bullet that was a practice run this fight has just begun because like honestly i didn't go planning to murder anybody but i knew that it was a possibility that
4: there could be casualties, there could
2: be casualties. is that what your memo said this could lead to violence I don't think it's this could. It said we should expect to see more violence. In our next two episodes of Will Be Wild, we go inside the two agencies dedicated to preventing extremist attacks. because long before Janelle Harvin and Jackson Reffitt's warnings, people at the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security were sounding the alarm about the rising threat of domestic terrorism.
0: This was a problem. In fact, this was, a wildfire spreading across the country and we needed to take action
2: but they were
4: ignored
0: the answer we got back was no
4: why we have a good group we got about 30 40 of us we're sticking together and sticking to the plan we'll see you soon just airborne after that brother Godspeed and fair winds to us
2: Will Be Wild it is a production of Pineapple Street Studios, Wondery, and Amazon Music. It's hosted by me, Andrea Bernstein, and Ilya Maritz. Our senior producer is Kat Aaron. Our producer-reporters are Christine Driscoll and Alice Wilder. Our associate producer is Marie-Alexa Cavanaugh. Our editors are Maddie Sprung-Kaiser and Joel Lovell. Production on this episode by Annie Brown and on our trailer by Courtney Harrell. Fact-checking by Jane Drinkard. Our sound designer is Hannes Brown, who also composed the original music. Pineapple's head of engineering is Raj Makija.
0: Legal services for Pineapple Street by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson Des Rochers. Legal review also provided by Katie Ali Mohammadi Crown and Sarah Schwarzman at Donaldson Califf Perez. Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky are the executive producers at Pineapple Street. From Amazon Music and Wondery, our senior producer is Eliza Mills, and executive producers are Morgan Jones, Marshall Louis, and Aaron O'Flaherty. Special thanks this episode to Joaquin Sapien and Josh Kaplan from ProPublica.